This episode of Rewind of the Living Dead is brought to you by NightChannels.com, the only place on the internet to get that darker side for your t-shirts and hoodies. These are amazing, unique t-shirts and hoodie designs for occult, music, literature, and films. Of course, they got loads of amazing horror t-shirts. There's this Texas Chainsaw one that you gotta have. They got Alien, but they also got these deep cuts like Begotten. You know Begotten, right? Because you're a hardcore horror fan like I am. Or Guinea Pig. It's like that across the entire site for their music, for the anime, for other kind of media categories. Such cool designs that you're not going to find anywhere else. Go on there. There's no way you're not going to get a t-shirt or hoodie. I guarantee you. Tons of color options. The t-shirts have two fabric options. Classic 90s style which is gildan or that great modern combed cotton bella option and the best part about all this these are one-of-a-kind designs and all of it has really great competitive prices in fact if you go there right now and you enter the code rewind at checkout you get 13 percent off that's right 13 percent off at checkout if you let them know that rewind of the living dead sent you uh, so when you're at the next convention or concert and someone asks where'd you get that shirt the only answer is at nightchannels.com and be sure to visit them on Instagram at nightchannels as well. Um, that's N-I-G-H-T channels.com uh, and be sure at checkout to enter the code rewind to get your 13% off. Rewind of the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead. Horror has always found a home on television, but it's hard to imagine anything capturing the attention of the pop culture zeitgeist like Stranger Things has done over the past few years. Developed by the Duffer Brothers, the series based in the 1980s was equal parts nostalgia and great storytelling while making titles like Eleven and the Demogorgon household names across the globe. When Stranger Things Season 3 ended, the evil Mind Flayer had been stopped, but Eleven lost her powers and the gateway to the Upside Down had seemingly ended Chief Jim Hopper's life. Season 4 picks up with Eleven and the Byers family living in California, Mike and Dustin teaming up with a new friend named Eddie, and a nightmarish presence suddenly lurking in Hawkins that is far scarier than any big bad before it. you guys far from Hawkins because I thought you'd be safe a war is coming I'm afraid your friends at Hawkins are very much in the eye of the storm I don't have my powers to say this other than just to say it without you we can't win this war see you on the other side on the other side convinced I was put here for some other reason. Maybe I can still help. Even if it's the last thing I do. People say Hawkins is cursed. They're not. 
way off. For the first time on Rewind of the Living Dead, we review a TV series as we crank up the Kate Bush and remember friends don't lie as we review Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 1. this week we are going to be traveling to the upside down as we review a tv series for the first time ever on this show almost 100 episodes deep our first tv series and it felt like there was no more perfect show to talk about when we're kind of debuting our first ever tv show here on rewind of the living dead than stranger things i don't i can't imagine any series has crossed over pop culture more than stranger things I mean, this is one of the biggest big ones and it's coming to an end. I think that was a big reason why we felt like it was time to talk about it is uh, Stranger Things, obviously cultural phenomenon, humongous, humongous show. Um, and it's coming to a close and we're in the first chapter of the final chapter of Stranger Things. Uh, the first seven episodes of the final season four have dropped on Netflix. Hey, there, well, Netflix, hold, on, hold, on, wanna... hold on. They're season five. Don't forget. We're, we're season four. Part one, there's season four, part two, and then we have season five still to come. What? Yeah, there's season five still to come. Wait a minute, what? There's yes. going to be a season after this? There is one more season. What Correct. the fuck? Oh, I thought it was over. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I not over. I thought it was over. I was like, oh, this is great. It's ending so well. No, it's not over. It is not <laughs> oh, they're quite gonna over. They're going to disappoint me with a very disappointing season five. No, they're not going to go full Game of Thrones. I have a feeling they're not going to go Game of Thrones. I like the end of Game of Thrones. I'm, uh, like, I'm one of the rare, rare few. You, you also like The Last Jedi. So, you know, I hold that, you know, I kind of hold that against you, but that's okay. It's tough, it's, it's tough being right. It's it, tough being one of the only right people on the planet. Hey, you know, um, we're just going to stop there and talk about Stranger <laughs> Things. Yes, this is technically so Stranger Things volume, se excuse me, season four, volume one is right now. The first seven episodes dropped on Netflix a matter of days ago. And then season four, volume two, the final two episodes drop on July 1st. Now to put that into con uh, context for everyone, the final two episodes are a total of four and a half hours long. The first episode is an hour and 25 minutes. The second, or sorry, about four hours long, excuse me. The first episode is 125 minutes or hour and 25 minutes, excuse me. The second episode is two and a half hours long. So it's basically like a Stranger Things movie to end season four. But there is season five. We don't know what? when that's coming, but that is the final season to wrap it up. There have been rumors that the Duffer Brothers, the creators of the show, had originally envisioned five or six seasons for the show ends up they just kind of supersize season four and now they're going to do season five and that will be the end of the series so there is you know one more I season heard? i had heard that actually the duffer brothers only ever envisioned two seasons ever one season that, that was the first season that came out and everybody loved and the second season was them as grown adults uh coming back to um 
what's the town Hawkins? Hawkins, Hawkins, yeah. Yeah, coming back to Hawkins to to finish off what what happened when they were kids. That I'm told that that was their only plan, and and Netflix was like, nah, we got like the biggest freaking franchise out there right now. Like, make it somehow stretch this out. And uh, I mean, Damon, listen, uh, we, we we're not going to do a full retrospective on Stranger Things overall. How have you felt about the first three seasons, just leading up to this season? Because I got my feelings. Well, you know, I listen, I'll fully admit that I am I am probably the bigger Stranger Things fan of the two of us. I love Stranger Things. I mean, you know, we both grew up in the 80s. So, you know, that that big dose of nostalgia hits me right in the feels with this show. I mean, it hit me real hard the first season and every season since then has continued to do that. Season three, when they introduced the mall. You know, I remember when I went to a mall for the first time, like it was like the greatest thing ever to like all have all your, all, all your shopping experiences in one place. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like I, you know, I, overall, I really enjoyed it. There have been issues along the way. I feel like some stories and some characters have kind of stalled out and other ones have been stronger than, than certain parts. But, you know, more than anything, I really enjoyed it because you are dealing with a really big sprawling cast, and a lot of a lot of moving pieces and and kind of at the end of the day, one central storyline which is our world versus the upside down the alternate universe known as the upside down that's really the the main thesis of the show but the fact that they've kind of splintered everybody off and continue to move like you know 13 or 14 major characters around the chessboard so to speak is pretty impressive because uh, a lot of shows don't can't do that or a lot of shows aren't able to do that i mean when you think about like a show that and i, I listen i don't want to you know i don't want to turn this into like me bashing another show but like a show that has excuse me, kind of lost its way in that because there's so many characters and you just kind of lose track of people. And it's just not been as strong as a show like the walking dead. The walking dead is a comic book that I adore. And I actually still like the show. There have been seasons where I've really enjoyed the show. There's others where they've kind of lost track, but now they're into their final season, which I guess is season 11 for the walking dead. And it's just like, I'm, I'm glad they made it. I'm glad that I watched it. I've seen every episode. I've recapped most of them for nerdcore movement. But I'm also like, it's time. It's time to end it. 11 seasons. Like, you should have done this in probably nine seasons. Like, it, it, it's done. I, I, you know, I appreciate that this is a huge show, but it's time to end it. And they've lost track of character. It just, it, it got to be a bit of a convoluted mess at certain points in that show. And I don't feel like Stranger Things ever went down that road, you know. So, through three seasons and now four, I've really enjoyed it for the most part. Again, my issues are are not minor necessarily, but overall, I can't say that I don't love it. And And listen... Show came back next Friday. My entire day and weekend was planned around watching Stranger Things. I was super excited to watch Stranger Things. So, you know, I can't say that I don't love it because I do. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I loved the first season. Loved it because everybody loved the first season. The first season is incredible. It's great. It's uh, big, big on the nostalgia factor, but also like executed well. Um, and the kids were perfectly kids, I think was what was so fun about that is that uh you know we, we've talked about this on the show with child actors sometimes it's hit or miss um those kids were being kids and that was i think the great appeal of them they weren't trying to be tiny adults tiny indiana joneses they were being little kids and uh you know the the, the search for will was so i think uh compelling you know and we, we all wanted them to find will and when they found him i mean it was a tv moment it was a huge it was a big huge deal um the the other two seasons uh two seasons two and three to me did feel like they were finding a way to stretch the story out it did feel like their season two almost felt like a complete rehash of the first season like almost completely 
um, except for a couple of wild diversions, some that were appreciated by many and some that weren't. Um, season three, I could have I could have literally tossed it in the trash. I, and I don't mean that to insult the filmmakers or the cast or anything like that. It's just I, I could not get into it. I mean, it it, it, it didn't it, to me, it didn't move the story forward at all, like at all. It was just it was just this weird diversion completely. Um, season four to me feels like a return to the magic of the first season um, without, and I'm not spoiling like how I feel about the season. I actually have like a lot of feelings about the season, but for the first time in a while, Damon, I felt like Stranger Things was really hitting a new stride. They were really showing me something new and different. And Damon, why we are even doing this podcast, the new thing that they showed us was real and true horror. This, this, was, this is a horror season by and large i think the first one was as well the second the, the first second and third seasons uh they kind of they diverge a little bit it's kind of like alien and aliens love them both but uh you know one is distinctly horror one's almost completely action uh with horror elements that's kind of what happened now i feel like the first and fourth season are sort of holding hands they have they have a real familiarity to them but this this season they go full throttle on the horror What's funny is, is listen, I, while I, I tend to disagree with you on season three, especially, I actually less, liked season two less than season three. I actually just rewatched season three before season four, and I really enjoyed it. But I will agree with you on one thing. I think season two, especially season three, became more of a sci-fi action kind of series in season three, where they were battling... You know, it was almost like Invasion of the Body Snatchers in a way, if you remember that season where it was yeah. like, you know, the Mind Flayer was infecting all these people and he was trying to create like a big monstrous version of himself to essentially invade our world and take over. And it, it really became a science fiction. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. This series has always been based in sci-fi and horror. I mean, that's, you know, very as you mentioned, Aliens, a great example. That's the sci-fi horror. Very similar. But last season, season three was very much more on the sci-fi tip than the horror tip. This season kind of refocused into the horror and there were actually some fairly like i'm not gonna go as far as like really truly scary moments but there were some pretty good like you know horror filled scenes and um this this season did a really really good job of refocusing on that element of the scary elements of stranger things of what made this show um such a good crossover success because it was equal parts scary good storytelling funny dialogue great characters and it kind of refocused, kind of refocused the theme. And and also, I think what helps, a big part of it, and this is not a spoiler, everyone has known about this. If you watched the trailer, if you read anything about Stranger Things Season 4, is they've kind of revealed that, like, well, last season, the big bad, so to speak, was the Mind Flayer, the kind of, you know, the, the, the creature they've nicknamed as, like, the Overlord, so to speak, of the Upside Down. This season, the big bad is a creature named Vecna, which actually speaks and talks and actually has, like, you know, real, like, you know, it's not a creature as much as it's actually like a, you know, it's an entity. It's an actual, you know, uh, villain, so to speak. I think refocusing it on that one single villain for the most part for, you know, and that's not the only thing that happens this season, of course, but I think refocusing that and, and kind of having that central villain is, is a key part of this because I was a big, big fan, not a big, big fan of the guy, but a big, big fan of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer when it was out. And and while Joss Whedon is a scumbag and I wish he would go away forever, um, the show itself, one of the reasons I liked it is because while there were, it was very much a procedural 
the the masquerade itself is a serial drama what i mean by that is each episode a lot of the episodes where you're battling an individual demon and then there was an overarching storyline for the entire season that was kind of coming up to the conclusion now this was back when tv was you know seasons were 22 23 24 episodes long so you had a long time to get to that ending but there was one big villain one big bad the actual terminology big bad came from buffy the vampire slayer so when you hear any other tv show out there say the big bad this season the big bad we're dealing with that's a buffy the vampire slayer term and so i feel like stranger things kind of refocused this season to where there was one big bad there was one real central focus and that was vecna the, the creature the the one you see in the trailer the one everyone's been buzzing about and I like that they refocused it on that. Now, it's not to say the Mind Flayer wasn't a, a, a um, compelling villain, but again, it was kind of like by, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know, where he had invaded like, you know, 50 different people. And so you're dealing with 50 different people all being infected by the Mind Flayer. Having that one central villain kind of brought it all back into focus for me. And I think that was a big part of the improvement this season, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think so. I having having Vecna as like a walking talking and we should just be clear here. I think this is like a full spoilers episode. I don't think there's a spoiler section, right? Because we kind of got to talk about everything. Um, I mean, the fact that we're even saying Vecna, it's already a spoiler. So uh, yeah, the, the fact that you have a walking talking villain does refocus something. The horror elements of this uh, season do something that I think the last two seasons really lacked, which was like stakes um there were stakes i'm not saying there weren't there weren't in the last uh two seasons but in season four the horror that vecna can inflict on people is genuinely terrifying and then of course because the town doesn't quite understand what's happening they assume that there is a killer on the loose that there's someone out there killing uh teens in the town and so the town is sort of dealing with its own crisis which is uh kids kids are being murdered so how do we what do we do um so and it, it creates uh problems for 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 other characters based on that so to me that that raise this 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 season really raised the stakes for these characters at the element of danger uh for everyone felt so much more palatable than it has in the last two seasons it did. There was a great, since we're just going full on spoilers, you know, at the end of the first episode, the, the head cheerleader, Chrissy, who has been dealing with, you know, kind of being tormented by what we imagine is some sort of demon or, you know, something that's like kind of invaded her brain that's like tormenting her. She finally has a full confrontation with Vecna at the end of episode one. And that's when the stakes were raised for me hugely because, you know, when she gets killed, Vecna literally snaps her body into multiple, I mean, just snaps her bones, crunches her bones, breaks her neck, snaps her jaw. And like, basically, you know, it's almost like she's going to a trash compactor and it's horrific. I mean, it is nasty the yeah. way they do the sound effects and everything. And I, I, I said, I was watching with my girlfriend. We sat there and like the first, as soon as it happened, as soon as that first death happened, I was like, I bet you Patrick loves this because <laughs> that's one thing we were curious about, like how much they were going to dip into the horror element and the Duffer brothers, the creators of the show had said this is the most horror filled season like this is the season where we go full on you know nightmare on elm street friday the 13th like we really embrace that now they've always loved those series and they've injected little bits and pieces of like the classic 80s horror films into these movies but this one is the one where they really go for it and like i said there are some moments where it's tough not to say it's tough to watch for a horror fan but i'm saying like if you're sitting there with a kid you'd be like you know what maybe you shouldn't be watching this because it's pretty it's pretty horrific like some of the things that happen in this in this in this uh, in this season 
I mean, so I, I that was my first note was, wow, Chrissy really got the horror treatment. <laughs> like, she really got it. I mean, she, she levitates up in the air. Her eyes turn white. She starts snapping all over, like you're saying. And then that last bit, it's like, oh, this is disgusting. This is horrific. And then the, the very final thing is her eyes get sucked out of her face. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God. Okay. That's also very hardcore. And so it was just like, I was like, oh, they're, they've stepped on the gas completely. Like, they are going to go full horror in this episode by the way they kick off the the season premiere with this very very intense scene of a, fla a flashback of 11 when she was back in the facility when she was just a little girl when we first met her and there's this, just a, a slew of uh other dead telepaths like just 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 laid waste and you believe in that moment that um that 11 has killed all of them and it's very horrific and i was like wow they're going hard fucking core this season like this yeah. is hardcore and and um yeah yeah patrick did like that very much <laughs> because i because it, because the show especially after the third season the third season got so bubblegum to me so just goofy and silly and i was like i don't i'm not into this anymore i almost checked out i was like i don't even think i want to watch the show anymore it was just getting so goofy and um this season was like nope we're going we're going hardcore this season um and it kept me on the hook you know that and that's again that's not to say that i didn't have some issues with this season i'm curious to see if did you i know you are a hardcore stranger things fan in a in a real sense were there were there issues you had with the season yeah and i think it's the same issue i've had with season two and season three as well which is losing track of some of the characters where it feels like you're you're not you don't have a storyline for certain people and then you kind of create a storyline for them and they kind of get lost in the shuffle it happened a lot in season two with 11 11 kind of got lost in the shuffle in season two and it, it led now the the episode that everyone seemed to hate the lost sister episode which was all about 11 and her travels with some of the other kids who apparently survived a massacre at the Hawkins lab and they were on the hunt for Dr. Brenner. A lot of people hated that episode. I really liked that episode, I but, I will, that episode. but I that will, but I will my favorite episode. Yeah. But I will admit keeping 11 off the board for so long that season. And she doesn't finally return to the last episode when she reunites everybody. I understand what they were going for, but when you have your one kind of lead character separated from everybody else for the entire time, and this is only in the second season, this isn't happening in season four where they've already had these established relationships and all those kind of things. When you kind of take her off the board, take her completely off the board for the entire season up to the very end, it does lose a little bit because you just kind of, you just kind of attach yourself to those relationships and the friendships she was building and the life she had kind of started in Hawkins after not really having a life of her own her entire life. So that kind of bugged me in that one. And then season three, again, I'm not going to go through every season, but in season four, it kind of felt that way with, with Mike and Will and, and, yeah. uh, you know, and, and those characters out in California, because once Eleven ended up getting taken back to undergo her training to get her powers back, they were left, you know, I mean, I did like the shootout scene at the house where the government came gunning for them and they good. had to escape. That was cool. But then, you know, they ended up going to Utah to visit Susie to do like a computer hacking thing. And again, it's all fine, but it felt like that entire storyline could have been done in like one episode. They did not need to stretch it out. And they were stretching it out for seven episodes and actually only six because they didn't even appear in the finale uh, because they had nowhere for them to go. And that kind of bugged me, you know, because Jonathan had kind of been, a, you know, Jonathan was such a central part of the first season with Will being missing. And Will, of course, has been a huge part of season one and season two, especially with the mind flare and then being in the upside down the first season season 
And then Mike, of course, has kind of been the other lead character. You know what I mean? And and he's yeah. kind of disappeared off the board completely this season. You know, he traveled to California, had that incident with Eleven where she attacked the girl in the roller skate rink, which, by the way, bravo, Eleven. I would have absolutely – if I was her parent, by the way, I would have 100% been like, way to go. You are a Let's go get ice cream. Yeah, let's go get ice cream. Do you need a replacement <laughs> skate? Can I buy you an extra one for the one you bashed that girl's face in with? Um <laughs> But yeah, like that was probably the one that that's kind of been my central beef with Stranger Things since season one is it feels like certain characters just kind of like they don't know where to go with them and they don't really have anything for them to do. So they create something for them to do. And it's just really not like there's no point to it. Like, again, by the end of them going to Utah to team up with Susie, I was like, you're literally just creating something for them to do without actual purpose. And then the whole purpose of them was to find Eleven, to find where she had been in, in Nevada, where they were taking her. They didn't even get to her. Like, I know they're probably going to get there at the start of the second half of the season. That's probably the whole point. But it was just like they didn't even appear in the last episode. Like, that's how little you had to do with them. I'll get into specifics once we get into categories. But I think my overall problem with season four is is actually you, you touched on it right here is that I, we've watched seven episodes with I think roughly about nine hours of actual story yeah. time because because the the episodes are longer than an hour roughly so about nine hours of episodes so far and so little movement and I'm like so what you've told me is that you've only given me seven episodes of television which a, a normal serialized show gets ten you've given me seven you could have made all of this happen in five. Like, really, like you didn't need to even stretch this out for two more episodes. Like, like things just got stretched and stretched and stretched in this in this part of the season where I got kind of exhausted a little bit. I got I was just like, oh, like, OK, we're OK. Whose story are we following around? Oh, that's right. We're with so and so right now. What were they doing? Oh, that's right. OK, like they're just moving in very small increments. And that's all the whole the whole thing. Some of these storylines, very compelling. We'll talk about that in the categories. Um, that that was that was I think my big my biggest like gripe uh, overall like the overarching gripe was that it was it was stretching this a lot of the stories very thin. You're right, Mike and Will and um, who else was with Mike? Jonathan and, and Argyle, the other yeah, jo yeah. John Argyle's the new guy, right? Yeah, and, and then Jonathan Byers, the older brother. Yeah, yeah, Jonathan. Like, yeah, they 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 are they are sinking into the background. At least this part of the season, I'm sure they're going to be very important to the last uh, couple of episodes. But yeah, I, I was I was kind of bummed about that. Yeah. So here's what I will say: what I did love about it, though, and and again, this is not anything I picked up on that no one else did. But what I really loved about this season, because last season ended on a couple of really sad tragic notes of course you know billy sacrifices himself to save his sister and save her friends and you know basically stops the mind flayer and the mind flayer kills him for it and of course we all you know again they don't let it hang very long but you know the thought is that, that hopper dies and hopper's of course one of the most beloved characters on the show just for a little information out there my first ever dog my beautiful little boston terrier his name is hopper we named him after jim hopper that's how much we love the show uh my first dog's name was hopper and he's still very much my first dog i love him to death and he is he is my little hopper uh hopper died at the first, at the end of season three supposedly and so like you know and then you had to deal with like 11 dealing with that Going into season four, what I really liked the big the big storyline really in this season was trauma. I mean, that was really dealing with trauma yeah. was the central thesis. You had Max, you know, almost in a state of you know catatonia in a way. You know, not you know not being able to deal with the, the fallout of the loss of Billy and and you know the relationship they have is very complicated, ugly at points in season two. But then you kind of see like you know how much he still mentors. Kind of like you know again you can fight with your siblings. 
growing up, you can, I hate you. I hate you. But at the end of the day, you're still siblings. You still love each other. And, you know, in that moment, she was very much grieving that. And then you had, you know, of course, 11 dealing with the loss of Hopper, you know, she's moving on with a new family. She just kind of, you know, she just basically found a dad and now he's gone. And so she's trying to reconcile with that while also being in a new place where she's being bullied and all these kind of things. And then really Vecna, you know, being the central villain for the entire story, you know, his entire uh, meaning his entire purpose is guilt and trauma. You know, he tortures yeah. people. That's how he gets in your mind. You know, where, you know, where, where Freddy Krueger invades your nightmares, you know, Vecna kind of, you know, invades your waking mind because you're feeling guilty about something you've done or something in your past. And that's what he feeds upon is that trauma, that guilt. And so trauma really was the central thesis of this entire season. I really enjoyed that because I thought they explored it extremely well not only from the per again i think max had the best you know purpose of that that best version of that with the with the with the guilt she was feeling over billy's death but i thought everybody you know and especially with the ending not to spoil that well we're already in spoilers yeah, nancy you know finally confronting barb's death i mean that was a huge part of season one was barb's death and everyone said justice for barb that was the whole you know going yeah. into season two um the fact that like they finally confronted that head on that she's always felt guilty about that she's never let that go i love that i love that they attacked that head on in the final in the final episode to say that nancy has never gotten past that she may have gone on to do other things and started new relationships and found jobs but she's never gotten past the death of barb and blaming herself for what happened to barb and i love that i love that they kind of honed in on that part on that part of it yeah they didn't they didn't just let and that like so many shows kind of um i think throw that by the wayside which is where there there are highly traumatic events that have happened in prior seasons that just you now you shake them off now you just shake them off and move on um this was like oh all everything that's happened in the first three seasons came to a head in this season like like you know there there is it, this is the aftermath all these things are done as far as they know their lives have to go back to normal well what is life going like going back to normal after all this shit happened to you after all this loss after all this trauma after all this terror what is life going to be like how are you going to pick up the pieces how do you get back to normal can you get back to normal can 11 ever be normal right you know like that's something she's struggling with early on in this season um it that's i think a, a big strength of this uh of the, of the season four entirely is just just tackling it because it's, it's so easy to just ignore it and move on to the next bad guy no this bad guy is coming for the guilt and the trauma and the loss that you have been suffering this entire time up until this entire time yeah and i love you know the the entire the entire theme around Vecna and what he's what he's doing and what he's after and how he gets after people is so creative and of course you know we all know this was influenced you know by Nightmare on Elm Street it's no secret of course Robert England makes an iconic appearance in this series and he has a monologue telling a story of Victor Creel playing Victor Creel a man who's convicted of you know killing his entire family um listen i admit i'm a full on Robert England fanboy but the fact that this guy doesn't get cast more often than what he does, it's, it's, it's criminal. He was so good in this role. And again, I know I'm biased. I'm a massive Robert England fan, but he was Damon, so good. Damon, you know I'm not even a nightmare guy. Robert England's fantastic. He's yeah. a very good actor. He's like a high-level actor. He's yeah. just... You know, like, it's weird because, like, sometimes people go, oh, well, horror movies ruined my career. First of all, Nightmare on Elm Street made Robert England a very wealthy man. He's he's doing just fine. We're not going to feel bad for him. But he's on a level 
that he could play many things. Like, look at him, the way he even, like, kind of looks, minus all the stitches and all the shit on his face. Like, he could be Abraham Lincoln if he wanted to be. Like, he's got that level of gravitas and that ability to... And and I was so happy to see him. I wish there was more of him in the show. Um, But that moment with him in there, which it was coming to a head, right? I mean, I felt like everything leading up to that point was like, when are we going to finally see the dream demon that is Robert England? Like, when's he going to get, when's he going to show up in this, in this uh, season? And when he finally does, it's an incredibly dramatic, heartfelt take. And you just see how damn good this guy is. He's criminally underused. He's criminally underused in in this season. Hopefully he comes back at the second half of the season because he's damn good. I'm glad they gave it to him, though. I'm glad they got him a part in the show because he is so good. But going back to the Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, I like that they use that influence of like, you know, the the, the dream demon, so to speak, of being Vecna. But I love that they took it into different avenue. He's not going after you in your nightmares. He's going after you because of your guilt. He's going out. That's what he's feeding upon, where Freddy... Freddy Krueger feeds upon your fear. This guy feeds upon your guilt. And I kind of like that part because I think we all deep down inside feel guilty about something, something we've done in life, someone we've wronged, someone we've, we've, you know, no longer talked to or whatever. Again, you know, not quite as serious as, you know, allowing your friend to get sucked into an upside down world at a swimming pool while you're getting on with your boyfriend in another room. That's, (laughs) that's a little you know out there, but I'm saying like, we all have that guilt inside of us for something we've done during our lives. And the fact that this creature kind of feasts upon that was a really creative take. I thought, because it could have just been something very generic where he's just, again, you know, just kind of coming at you because you're, you know, in his way, you know, And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And not to, not to throw your boy Jason Voorhees under the bus, but we've kind of had this discussion before. Like, he's just a bit of a zombie on a killing streak. He keeps uh, it simple. Yeah, he keeps it simple. I like that they added that little, le- that extra layer to this character that Vecna is at. That's how he gets his, that's his, that's his entryway into your mind is because you're feeling guilty over something you've done. And then he torments you with it to fully break you. And then once you're broken mentally, he breaks you physically. I really like that. Again, I, I maybe people are gonna be like, wow, you're overcomplicating a pretty simple storyline. It's really not that simple. When you think about the torture, he puts Chrissy simple. and then the kid who was working with Nancy at the paper and then going after Max. I mean, it was really compelling stuff. I thought, uh, you know, uh, I have my own thoughts on Vecna. Um, when we get into the categories, I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate on it. But what I think was strong about it was that, you knew that if he got his hands on you, it was bad news. I think that was that was the biggest thing is like he's he, when he he's just he's he's going to lure you into his web. And when he gets you and the web is there for a reason, when he gets you, uh, it's going to be really, really bad. You're going to die horrifically. That was something I think has been missing pretty much. I don't want to say the whole the whole entire um series because i think the first season there was plenty of stakes involved but this was like oh god like do not do not get in his crosshairs it, because it's going to be it's going to it's going to end really really badly yeah so before we get to categories let's talk real quick about the big twist at the ending which i know is a big part of what you want to talk about in categories so i'm not going to ruin that but i do want to get the twist out of the way so we can kind of fully discuss it in categories which is the ending which it all leads up to this that the character the order who was working with Eleven in her in, back in 1979 when the series actually when season four starts uh we are a brought in 1979 and we're made to believe that Eleven you know freaked out had some sort of break with reality and she killed everyone in the Hawkins lab and that's what we're made to believe fast forward to the final episode we learned that this orderly who had been kind to her and kind of taught her and kind of encouraged her throughout the entire season 
was actually one, the first ever psychokinesis child, whatever you want to call it, telekinesis child that was studied by Dr. Martin Brenner, who also makes a return this season, which I loved, by the way. I loved him being back. I'm a massive, massive fan of Matthew Modine. Uh, I was really glad to see him back this season. Um, but the, you learn that the orderly is actually the first ever you know, telekinetic child, the one that was studied by, by Dr. Martin Brenner. Then you also learn that he is actually Henry Creel, the kid who grew up, the son of Victor Creel, his family was killed. And you find out that he actually killed his own family with those powers. So there was a great story, real quick, not to not to like divert too much. There was a great um, storyline with Nancy investigating the whole Victor Krill story this season, and she's like, Victor Krill and his family. Victor Krill supposedly killed his family in 1959, and then Vecna doesn't show back up until 1986, where he starts killing people again in, in Hawkins. And Nancy has a great <clears throat> excuse me. Nancy has a great line where she's like, Why did he go dormant? Like, why did he go dormant for, you know, almost 30 years? We find out he didn't go dormant because he didn't kill. That Well, technically, I guess he did. But, 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 you know, Henry Creel was the one who killed his own family. And then he ended up being taken care of by Dr. Brenner. Dr. Brenner suppressed his power somehow. Eleven eventually frees him. He reveals himself to be Henry Creel. And then in the battle to stop him, Eleven overpowers Henry Creel and ends up basically evaporating him and sending him into the upside down where his body is transformed and he eventually becomes the character the creature we know as vecna so vecna is one vecna is henry creel henry creel is vecna what the reason i was going through all that just to make sure we're completely into spoiler territory and that big twist at the ending was revealed i want to give credit where credit's due the actor's name jamie campbell bauer was the actor who played those parts. Now, I learned this today because he was finally able to do interviews because the show's been out for a few days. He did all of that. He was not obviously he didn't play the little boy, but he played the orderly. He played, you know, he played Vecna and he was in the costume as Vecna. It was all practical effects. 90% he said 90% of it was a costume and practical effects. The only thing that weren't were like the vines that were coming, like hanging yeah. off him. That was him in the suit. But the most impressive part that was his voice. That was him doing Vecna's voice. That was him doing Vecna and him being the orderly slash Henry Krill. So when you hear him tell one of the characters, your suffering is almost at an end. That is the same actor. I thought that was so impressive because you, I didn't, I couldn't tell that. I thought it was some, you know, voice altering program or some other, you know, like they do a scream where, you know, you have the right. guy who plays the you know, ghost face and of course the actual characters. Um, no, it was him. That was his voice. Like 100% just him. No alterations, no screwing with it that was his i thought that was awesome that's cool i wasn't sure that he played vecna i was pretty sure once once uh, it was revealed i was like oh that is that does look like it's probably him behind the 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 makeup and prosthetics um great actor by the way jamie campbell bauer uh when he approaches a young little 11 as she's recalling her thoughts and he's uh the way he's talking to her i go there's something wrong with this guy for sure i i had him pegged as something not right and uh, and they try and twist and turn it on you. I mean, a credit to the writing staff for trying to subvert expectations. Uh, but at some point, I was like, "He's the bad guy." Garen. And she and she just released him. And sure enough, when she releases him by releasing what there's some sort of like thing in his neck that is clearly um, stopping his powers, like it's like implanted in there, so he can't do his his tele telepsychosis or whatever he's up to. Uh, when he releases that, I was like, ah, she fucked up. Yeah. But she was just a little girl. She was a little girl. And it was, it was actually really um, sweet to see 
the little 11 again, like little baby 11, because they've all grown up so much. We were talking about this before the podcast. <laughs> all the kids from Stranger Things are in their 20s now, and they really just look, they look like adults, and they just, they're just like adults. You remember that? Uh, did you ever see that, um, that movie? Oh, shit. Wet Hot American Summer? Oh, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, it's a bunch of adults. Most of them are from the state sketch comedy show. They're playing teens, but they're, oh, yeah. they're fully adults, just dressed in teenage clothing. Oh, I know, I know, and trust it's like, me. And it's supposed to be ridiculous and silly. Like, that's almost how they see that the Stranger Things kids look now. Some of them don't, but most of them look... I was talking about Will. Like, you could see the five o'clock shadow on <laughs> Will's face. That kid just sprouted, and he was a tiny little kid yeah. in the first season. And he was now the youngest he one. Like he, was like the, he was like the youngest one in the cast, and now he looks like he's, you know, he looks like he's, you know, a full on adult now. Like it's yeah, kind of crazy. He looks older than Finn Wolf. Finn Wolfhard's kind of got like a baby face. Like, yeah, you can tell. Like Finn Wolfhard doesn't even have facial hair. He's just he's one of those guys. But when and next to Will, Will looks like a, you know he's gonna drive them all to school. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. But the the big so I pegged I pegged the orderly as the bad guy, and I pegged him as one. I actually said right early on. I bet you he's the first one. I bet you he's the first kid because yeah. we never met one. Uh, we met 11, we met 10, we met a lot of the other kids. We never met one. I had a feeling I did not, I did not guess he was Vecna. I'm not going to lie and say I figured that out. When that happened, right at the end, I was like, oh, that was a good twist. Like, that was a good, like, yeah. did not see that coming. He was actually the one who became Vecna. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, let's get into categories. We do have a lot of categories to get into tonight for Stranger Things Season 4, Part 1, Volume 1. And just to be clear, the second part comes out on July 1st. We will come back and we will do a second episode for Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 2. So we will come back and talk about those final two episodes, which, as I said, are like four hours long. So, you know, it's not like we're not going to have a lot of material to work with. Um, so let's kick things off a little different categories for our first ever TV show here on the show, Patrick. So let's kick things off with Most Valuable Player in Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 1. Who is your most valuable player in this part of the season? Before I announce this, I just want to ask you, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I'm sure you assumed we were going to do a couple of categories. So did you think that this person was going to be my favorite character? Um, yes, because he was also (laughs) my favorite character technically, because I was like, this is me in high school. Like this was me. That's the thing is I I saw him as, as versions of us. And that is of course the new character that we are introduced to, which is Eddie. Uh, I call him Eddie the Hesher because he's a total Hesher. Like he's a, he got the long, greasy hair, the leather jacket, the jean cut, like uh, with the Reeboks on. He's a full thrash metal dude. He's also the dungeon master that all the kids from Stranger Things go play D&D with. And, and he's just kind of this over the top, over dramatic, like metal nerd. And I was like, yeah, this is an amalgamation of me and Damon. I never played D&D, admittedly. I wasn't that cool or nerdy however you want to look at that to play DD. but um i was certainly that guy and uh and so for me my most valuable player this year was eddie because he is introduced he is important and i actually really liked his take there have been characters that have been introduced in the past i'm looking at you season three super hard that like kind of were ruining things i was like man you guys are stinking up the joint Eddie had a great balance, like a truly great balance in this season. I really enjoy, or in this season so far, and I really enjoy where his character's going. And he served a function. He wasn't just there to be weird. He was there for the town to blame the murders on. 
Yeah. So let me real quick. I loved Eddie. You know, I love the character. Also, nice job on whoever in the costume department or the Duffer Brothers, whoever did this. The fact that he was wearing a Dio jean jacket on his yes. vest, I was so impressed with that. Immediately, I had to like go listen to Holy Diver, and yeah. uh, I was like, oh, the fact that he had Dio, like he could, they could have gone for Metallica, and there would have been nothing wrong with that because at that time, eighteen eighty six, that would have worked. The fact they went for Dio was so awesome, and also yeah, the conversation, perfect. the conversation he has with Steve Harrington later about Ozzy biting the head off the bat, <laughs> yes. which was a which is a huge part of, of metal folklore back when we were kids. Uh, the fact that he mentioned that, and Steve's like, who are you? Ozzy who? And I was like, oh my God, this is so great. Anyways, he was a great addition. Also, what I loved about the character, and they brought this up. I uh, brought this up. The Duffer Brothers in an interview brought this up. They were talking about how this show, this the season centers a lot or centers are a lot around satanic panic of the 80s. And he brought up yeah. the West Memphis Three. Do you remember the West Memphis Three? Very famous oh, case. Yeah. Kids were accused of all these like these horrific murders. They were sentenced to, you know, prison for life in prison. They eventually got out because it was all total horse shit these kids were innocent they were literally being condemned because they were the metal heads of like their their town and everyone thought they were evil and satanic and that's literally what put them in prison for years um they said that was a big influence on their writing of eddie was because like you know he had become this character and so there's a big central theme where the entire town gets all up in arms and like all oh, this is all satan's powers and dungeons and dragons is evil and this eddie kid is their you know leader of satan and while again, I'm not going to get into like the whole religious part. There is a there was a very very serious issue with that, and, and not to say it's ever completely gone away in this country, because trust me, it hasn't. But there was a real satanic panic in the '80s, and and the fact that they brought that into this story, and it really made sense. You know, it really made sense of like the people getting their like torches and pitchforks out for Eddie, thinking he was this murderer, was great. You know what I mean? And him being on the run, and he actually played a, a really important role this season. I loved Eddie. I thought he was a great character, great addition to the cast. Uh, it, it was a really Joseph Quinn is the guy's name who played him really really strong performance and i i really did I, I, immediately as soon as he popped on the board i was like oh yeah i'm gonna like this guy like immediately yeah, yeah. i predict um i predict a bevy of uh little hecher wannabes coming around for the next school year in high school there's going to be a lot of kids who want to look like eddie munson yeah absolutely so for me my most value now listen i I kind of I kind of attach myself to a different character every season, you know, that I like and like their storyline, like how they follow. Like, I really liked, you know, I really liked Mike in season one. You know, every, every season's had a little bit different. I really liked Eleven in season two from that Lost Sister episode, even though she disappeared off the canvas a lot. Like, I liked a lot of certain characters. This season... Now, this is, this is me playing into my journalistic, uh, you know... Uh, uh, background i am a journalist by trade that's what i do i am a journalist a full-time journalist so of course my most valuable player this season is nancy i love nancy investigating and actually digging into the mythology behind the victor krill murders and i love that entire scene with her and robin uh in the psychiatrist's office as they're trying to get a meeting with victor krill and also you know robin also gets like the honorable mention for most valuable player because the speech she gave him convincing him to let her let them go see victor krill was phenomenal uh maya hawk killed that scene uh but nancy wheeler being the investigator she did it last season she was the first one to suspect that something was going on with the rat in town when she got that call and she kind of investigated that this season same kind of thing she's the first one to suspect something was going on with victor krill how he attached to the actual bigger storyline and how that connected back to vecna which again we saw her in kind of like the flashback she discovered that henry krill was vecna 
all that stuff. I I just loved her story and I love that she's got that. They really do play her like a serious, like, you know, a, a serious journalist, like a person who wants to dig for the truth. And I love that they've made her that character. And she's, she's been really a strong character since the beginning, but I've really loved her this season. Yeah. I think she's kind of emerging as a bit of a hero right there. I mean, not just, trying to figure out what this is all about, which she's doing a great job of in this particular season, but like, you know, fully like committing to being uh, a hero, right? Like, uh, um, what's his name gets sucked. Uh, he's, he ends up falling in the water gate. What's his name? Uh, Steve, are you talking about Steve? Yeah. yeah. Steve, right. Her ex, Yeah, you know, he, fall, he falls in there. She dives right in and goes after him. Yeah. Like she, she, she's, she's being a hero. She's got, and she's complex and they, they drew her really well this year. I think, with an ongoing show and a show of this magnitude and the show with a cast of this size, um, characters sort of ebb and flow. Like that, it's very common for that to happen where sometimes they fall by the wayside and sometimes they start to emerge as having all this potential. And I feel like Nancy's potential really came to a head this season in particular. Yeah, she was really strong this season, so I really enjoyed her. I've, I've liked her character a lot throughout all the seasons, but last season and this season in particular, she's really become one of my favorites, and I just love that about her, that she is that investigative journalist. She wants the truth, and I love that she was the... And again, it led us to you know, probably my favorite scene of the season, which was the interview with Victor Creel at prison because Robert England absolutely killed it. And I just loved that entire, that entire scene between them. I just thought that was so strong and, and so well done. Um, let's talk about most improved character in stranger things season four. Cause again, we do have a lot of characters kind of, as you mentioned, the ebb and flow of a character who is your most improved character in stranger things season four, my most improved character. No question about it. Uh, Murray Bauman played by Brett Gelman. Now, I'm going to be clear. I'm actually a Brett Gelman fan. I really enjoy what he does, but I was not a Murray fan when he came on the scene. I was just like, this is too wacky and weird. I don't get it. It's not really fitting with the rest of the show. You know, the, his subplot is so important this year. It's, it's again, it's a lot like Nancy. It's like what we've been building to is paying off in season four. And also he's just fucking hilarious. Like he's really, really funny. And he's and he also much like Nancy is like becoming a genuine hero, like all his skill sets are finally coming in handy in the in the uh, in the effort to go find and save Hopper from, from some mysterious prison in the middle of Russia. Uh, Brett Gelman, I mean, he, he's tell me, Damon, he's like a full blown action star in this in this season he's a karate black belt patrick let's just be <laughs> honest about this he is a karate black belt who displays those karate i told my girlfriend that the one scene he gets into a fight where he's using his karate in the plane and i was like the only thing that would have made this scene better is that they would have had you're the best around <laughs> nothing's gonna end I, that would have been the only thing that would have been bringing that song from the karate kid that would have been the only thing that would have improved that scene he was great it was hilarious yeah, like his, his karate skills were great i like i actually you know what i actually like murray in season two and season three i like you know the, the 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 way he was introduced in season two and then kind of reappeared in season three i thought it made sense because he spoke russian and i like the weird relationship he developed with lexi the the scientist so i actually like murray all the way through he's kind of a weird quirky character but i do understand where you're coming from and I, I did like him a lot this season. He was funny and he actually served a really big purpose in the, in the overall story. He's a full blown action hero at times. And he's like, he's almost James Bond. Cause then at some point he has to have a, he has to pretend he's the Russian guy and, you know, infiltrate a prison. And I was like, I, I bet Brett Gelman when he started his acting career was like, well, I'm never going to be that kind of actor. I know my lane and like, he's doing his thing. 
And then he just gets like this incredible run throughout the, the start of the season where he's just a fucking full blown action star. And he's funny on top of that, which to me is a sign that like, Hey, Hollywood studios take guys that you would normally not consider action heroes and put them in an action hero situation. And don't be afraid to make the movie kind of funny. Brett Gelman's a perfect example of that. Another yeah. great example of that uh, before I won't go on too much of a tangent, Harvey Guillen in the final season of what we do in the shadows or the, the last season of what we do in the shadows was also a full blown action star. Now I bet a guy who identifies as, uh, as gay and, and as a, and as a, you know, a plus size dude who's kind of nerdy, never thought he'd play an action star. And he was like a full blown action star in what we do in the shadows last season. And I love that. I love seeing people you would not normally cast in those roles. And it, for, for me, I mean, Murray kills it this season. He does. He really does kill it. I like him a lot. And I like that character a lot. And I agree. I like Brett Gelman a lot. Uh, for me, my most improved character, it's a weird one because while season one, he was a complete and utter douche and everyone hated him. I have grown to absolutely adore Steve Harrington. I love Joe Carey's performance. He is so funny and he is such a great addition, especially, you know, in season two when he kind of befriended the kids. And then season three, of course, he befriends Dustin and they go on that whole Russian adventure down in the basement. But Steve really didn't serve a big purpose in season three. He was just kind of along for the ride. You know, like he went down in the basement, he got his ass kicked by the Russians. And then it was all leading towards what you thought was going to be the big revelation that him and Robin were going to get together. Now I did like the twist at the end that you realized that Robin was gay, that she was a lesbian. And now I love that like twist on the thing that didn't just make it like the so typical boy and girl get together kind of thing. I like that twist on it. But ultimately, Steve didn't really serve a major, major purpose in season three. He did, but he, again, he kind of faded to the background a little bit because everyone else around him was doing more. And to their credit, they gave a lot of good stuff to Robin, which I love the introduction to that character. I love Maya Hawk. She's phenomenal. Uh, but it felt like Steve kind of lost a little bit. He rebounded hard this season. Steve killed it this season, not only because they're very much hinting that Steve and Nancy are going to get back together, which... I kind of I kind of like that. I, I like that they're bringing them back together as a couple. It was really sweet the way they continue to flirt with each other and kind of see that they still have feelings for each other, even though when they first got together, Steve was a big douche. But now, like, I love that. And then I love that Steve actually, like, you know, played a hero. Like, he's kind of the, he's the jocular you know, the jocular dude, he actually played that role. And when he, you know, when, when they're on the, when they're on the lover's lake and they're trying to get down to the water gate and everyone's like, who's going to go down. And he just starts taking off his shirt and he's just like, listen, senior captain swim team. All right, I'll do it. I just loved it. He's just like, no, no, sit back. I got this. And just dove right in. And then of course he had attacked by the demo bats and, and look for a minute. Like maybe things were getting dicey for old Steve. I liked his storyline all the way through. And also, another reason why I picked him is because when season when season four ended for the what I'm calling the mid season finale, Nancy they they go back to the gate and they're they're in they're in Eddie's trailer, which is where a gate has been open and they're going back from the upside down into the real world. Robin and Eddie fall through, but then when Nancy tries to fall through, she gets taken by Vecna and dropped into his world, and then she gets trapped in the whole Barb nightmare. Steve is still in the upside down. He never left. He was screaming for her, and that's when she got pulled away. I'm hoping my boy Steve is going to pull on the full-on hero tip and go save Nancy from Vecna because that's going to be what we're going to pick up with when season four continues in July. But I just thought Steve killed it this year. No, he does. And you know what I think his superpower is? I think his superpower is taking a beating. 
<laughs> like the guy just knows how to take a beating and keep on ticking. And it's cool that, you know, he started in the first season as sort of a preppy bully and has evolved and like learned to join, uh, join the group and, 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 and find his, find his purpose with them. Um, and it's funny too. Like, I think the, uh, the big controversy coming out of this season is the character of Jonathan, uh, played by Charlie Heaton is now sort of just like a, like a stoner wasteoid so for lack of a better term he's like he's falling by the wayside from his own hand like he's just rather just be stoned and sit in a corner so it's it almost seems like they're trying to push steve and nancy back together um and and they're really making you know jonathan look like he's not appealing anymore you know like he's kind of giving up so it's kind of interesting to see where they're going with all that uh, but yeah steve taking on taking on the hero's mantle yet again you know another one another another reason why an improved character is like they're they're stepping up they're stepping up to help the people that are in need can i also give a real quick shout out we did we did most improved character can i also give a shout out for the worst parents in hawkins now they're all they're all pretty bad they're all pretty bad but the one i gotta give a special shout out to is joyce byers because Joyce Byers has three kids back in California and, you know, Eleven's, you know, obviously she either doesn't know or doesn't care that Eleven's clearly been bullied for months. And I understand kids can hide this. So I understand that part of it, that kids can hide things really, really well. Because you and I probably did that. We both probably went through things that we never told our parents about in school. That's understandable. But of course, Will has been traumatized for like three seasons in a row. And then of course, Jonathan is like, you know, the elder kid going off to college. But the fact that she just like leaves them a message and like just leaves to go to Alaska. Now I understand it's for a good purpose. I do. She was going to rescue Hopper. Totally understand that. But that entire scene where Eleven gets arrested and after she attacks that girl in the roller skate which by the way, again, applause. Good job, Eleven. Uh, I was like, Joyce, you were the worst mother in history. You just abandoned your children and didn't give them any way to get in touch with you. And then you just leave. And then like when they're coming to arrest her, like no one can help her because she didn't have a parent there. I'm like, Joyce, step up your parenting game here. Like none of the parents are good, but good Lord. That one was like, that one stood out to me. I was like, geez, someone abandoning your kids. My boyfriend might be alive. Sorry, kids. Got to fly to Alaska. Yeah. Just out was, of nowhere. It's like super weird. I was just like, lady, like, come on. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you got a freaking karate black belt. Send him there. Like, yeah. You know. <laughs> that, that was the only one I was just like, I know the parent, none of the parents are strong on this show, but good Lord. No. I was like, lady, come on. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about biggest step back because we did mention earlier in the show that if there's been one sort of weakness to Stranger Things through four seasons, it's that certain characters kind of fall to the back burner or get lost in the shuffle or maybe get a net less than popular storyline during the season. So what was your biggest step back for, for Stranger Things season four? It might be a controversial opinion, but to me, the biggest step back is Eleven. Um, you said in season two, she did kind of take a little bit of a backseat and that's true. I think she kind of takes a backseat here too. Now people will argue, well, they're showing her, you know, uh, the origins of a lot of things. The way they do it is they just put her back in her facility and she's replaying what is essentially the same memory for seven episodes, Damon. She's, she's basically just trying to piece together one memory the whole time. She's moving only a few inches over the course of nine hours. It's, 
it's not that interesting. It, it's interesting what it led to. I would say if you could have done it right around episode four, maybe like gotten to that point and then try to go from there to something else. But the, she moved at such a snail's pace. It did such a disservice to that character because they had the character just basically just sitting still for the, in, for the majority. I mean, the, a good 70% of the entire season, she's in one spot. You know, I understand, listen, I understand the, the complication and the dislike of that particular storyline. I actually don't think that will be a super unpopular opinion. The reason I say that is because Eleven is kind of the central figure of Stranger Things. When you move her off the board, people, people tend to get upset about that case in point season two. Um, but I think again, while I don't disagree, the fact that it took so long to get where we were going with her and it was ultimately her basically in a water pod for, you know, four episodes or whatever it was. Cause she didn't actually get there to like season to episode three, I think. And then of course you'll see it. So it was actually four total episodes. She was in that pod or whatever. The only reason I disagree is because the ending, when they got to the end, when they finally made the big reveal about who the orderly was and the attachment to who he actually was and then who he actually became, that's what saved it. I would 100% agree with you everything up till then, but the fact that it did get a payoff, I like the fact that it did pay off. And the other, again, this is selfish. The fact they brought back Matthew Modine. I loved, I loved him as Martin Brenner and I loved that they brought him back. I am just a huge Matthew Modine fan. Uh, when we reviewed, um, what was that? The, the one remake we did, uh, Oh God. Uh, yeah, um, I know what you're talking about. I, of course, I can't think of it right. What now. is that? Hold on, I gotta think of this. It's gonna bug me. Uh, <laughs> God, what is that name? What wrong is that? turn. Wrong turn. We did yeah, the we wrong did the turn wrong remake. Turn, right? Like I was just like, more Matthew Modine. Please give me more of that guy and less yeah. of everything else in this movie. Uh, Matthew Modine is great. I've loved him ever since Full Metal Jacket. So I loved. So that to me was kind of the saving grace. And I did like Paul Reiser coming back as well. I like him a lot as an actor. The fact they've actually made him a good guy in this series versus you know when he was in Aliens and things like that. But yeah, I, I it didn't bother me as much for that because of the ending, because of the payoff. But again, I totally oh, understand where you're coming from. The payoff's fine. It just the payoff is totally fine. It's just it, how long it took to get there. When I think about how much more forward momentum. She could have had in this season it's yeah. fine the, the payoff is fine but i, I don't know yeah it, it was a little frustrating because i was like oh we're cutting back to this again and we're just going to add a little piece to it it was i mean you talk about you know peeling the onion very slowly you're going to get some tears it's <laughs> a little like, bit i, I think this. honestly i think a little bit but not that i need to excuse anything for stranger things but i think they get a little bit of the superman syndrome in this show where if you talk to anybody who's ever tried to make a superman movie or a tv show they talk about the difficulty because he's freaking superman he's unstoppable he's the yeah. most powerful creature in the universe it's hard to make compelling stories around him because how do you stop him? How do you beat Superman? You know what I mean? Like it's, right. it's harder to sell him because Batman's a real dude. Spider-Man has his weaknesses. He's not like, you know, omniscient, you know, all the, all these guys, he's not, you know, he's not a deity. Superman is basically a God. You know, how do you stop a God? And so it's difficult to write around that sometimes because you're trying to figure out how do you stop a God? And they've made 11 such a central figure in terms of her powers and how, how much she can do. If she's back in Hawkins, you kind of imagine, not to say the Vecna would be defeated in like five minutes, but like it kind of takes away the point of that character if she's around just to stop him immediately. Um, so I kind of get taking her off the board a little bit. And I also did like, 
at the end of season three when they took her powers away. It kind of made her more interesting in that way when they just kind of took away the thing she was most well known for. And the fact that she had to get him back again, I like that. I just, I didn't like the length it took to get there, but ultimately the only reason I disagree is because I did like the payoff. How I'm not going to do a rewrite of the living dead, but how great would it have been if like, instead we kind of would have followed like the bullying and, and, and cause like there was, she was bullying and she was feeling like an outsider and then Mike came to visit and then she was trying to hide that. How great would it have been if she would have been on that road trip with them for a little bit. And then at some point in that road trip been nabbed by, uh, by whatever Paul Reiser's character's name is. I forget. Uh, Dr. Uh, Sam Owens. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and then only have like two, two or three episodes where she has to relive that thing. Uh, not even two, just two episodes where she has to relive that thing. And then the reveal, you know what I mean? Like 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 more development, Instead of the cops arresting her, what if they would have just like, we're we're, like when the cops came looking for her, they just run and the kids run away with 11. They run and then that stakes the whole time. And then she gets nabbed and then the reveal, like, you know, they just, it just could have been more interesting. It was, it was, I think that was my problem with it is it not that interesting except for the payoff. That's great. But you made me wait for nine hours to get the payoff. Yeah. So for me, my, you know, my biggest step back was, and I mentioned it kind of already, I want to spoil what I already said, but it was Mike, you know, Mike kind of took a backseat to everything this season. And I also didn't really like the one thing, the one they kind of continued to tease this throughout the series, which is like the emotion that he shares with 11. And finally at the end of season three, like he had that big thing where like they were worried that she's going to you know get hurt or die. And he's just like, I love her. I don't want her to die. And like, she didn't hear that. Then finally at the end, he tells her he loves her, you know, and she leaves. And then this season, they brought it back up again, where she says, you never tell me you love me. And then like, you know, the, the letters all say, you know, from my dear Mike, whatever, you never say you love me. I was like, that's kind of a weird, like, I didn't really quite understand why they went in that Avenue of that. And I guess maybe part of it is just because she's feeling guilty about like everything right now. She's lost so much with Hopper being gone. I guess that's what they were doing, but I just, I didn't like Mike's story. I, I liked, you know, when he got to California and he was by her side and I liked all that. And and then I liked the realization that like, you know, he wanted to be with her. Like he, he wanted to be there for her. You know, I liked that realization and all that. But then again, the second half of the story, like going to Utah and visiting Susie. And then like, again, there was no payoff. Now, again, this is only part of the season. I imagine the payoff will be in the second half where Mike gets back to 11. They're reunited and all that. I, I get all that. So we're not getting the full story right now. We have to remember this is a, right. this is only part of a season, but I just, I didn't, I, I felt like he went backwards this season. Like last season, he had a stronger arc because she broke up with him and then he was trying to figure out, you know, he was trying to figure out girls. And if you've ever been that age, we all have as a guy, uh, you know, when you're 12, 13 years old, you don't understand anything. You don't understand women. I don't understand women. And I'm way older now. Uh, it, it was funny to see him go through those growing pains and then eventually you know, fight to get 11 back and like, you know, really fight to prove himself to her. And that whole great scene, like I said, where he said, I love her, all that kind of stuff. It was great. I really liked that. The arc of Mike in season three, season four, he just kind of dis- after he gets to California, he just kind of disappears off the board once 11 gets taken. And I get it. Like, I understand why they took it in that direction to have 11 trained to get her powers back. But you know, all those characters really will, Mike, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jonathan, like they Jonathan, all just kind of yeah. like fade in the background. And like, I just didn't like Poor that. Like, Jonathan. They all... He was another big step back. Jonathan I wonder, I wonder now get stoned. So to be, now I'm not a hundred, I'm not, I don't want to dig into personal lives here. So I don't want to like make this seem like that, but I know at one point, Natalia Dyer, the actress who plays Nancy and the guy who plays Jonathan, they were actually in a real relationship outside the show. 
I also know the kid that played Jonathan had some legal issues along the way. I know he had gotten arrested or had some issues somewhere along the way. Now, he didn't, he was still very much in the season. He was in almost every episode. I think the only episode he wasn't in was the final episode. Um, but they separated them, and it's very clear throughout the season they're trying to put Nancy and Steve back together. Like, it was very clear about that. I wonder if there was any element of that, like him. I don't know. Like, it feels like they kind of took that, like, they were a real cute, like, when they got together at the end of season one and finally got together in season two, it was like, oh, finally. Like, they were kind of two parts of the same half or whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? Two halves of the same piece. And they made sense together. Now it's almost like they're completely different characters. Like, I wonder what's, like, it was it, was it something outside the show that drove them to make that story change is, I guess, what I'm getting at. Uh, you know, I've read a random, like totally random article popped up today. I think it was on Deadline. And I was reading about the controversy behind Jonathan's storyline because he basically just becomes a, a stoner who's kind of useless to the plot for the most part. Like he brings in Argyle and Argyle's more, actually more useful to the plot than he is. Um, I, I I read, and if I read this wrong, forgive me, but I read that they're, that they're still together. They're still a real life couple. So I don't think it had anything to do with like their personal like relationship to separate them out. Um, but I just you know, wonder. I it was just a weird. It was just a weird turn. I just. I mean, I get it. Like long distance, all that makes sense. I get all that, but it was just a weird like choice. You know what I mean? Like not that I actually was like I'm now rooting for Steve and Nancy. I thought they were like now that Steve is a totally different character. I was like that they are super. Like I would be totally okay with them getting back together. But it was just weird how they arrived there with just kind of like writing <laughs> like he just like you're out of sight out of mind buddy and then yeah. like at one point when he's having a conversation with Argyle he's like you're like long distance breaking up with Nancy and he's like yeah and I'm like why like what happened like I don't understand <laughs> he just wants to smoke that weed I mean and listen hey you know what trust me you and I both know those people uh that's not a far that's not a far cry from reality of some folks we know it's uh, not yeah uh, let's talk about best storyline because again, uh, one thing the Stranger Things has done well is when they do find a good storyline and they carry it on, they do really do a good job. We talk about certain storylines kind of getting faded into the background, but the strong storylines really do are really are compelling. So, what was your favorite? What was your best storyline for Stranger Things season four, volume one? My uh, favorite storyline was actually Hopper's uh, attempted escape from Kamchatka prison. Um, it, it just something about it. first of all. The, the scene stealer, Brett Gelman, uh, as, as uh, Murray Bauman, like, you know, he's a big part of that plot line. But just kind of cutting back and forth between them trying to get to him, there was a lot of twists and turns. There was a lot of peaks and valleys. There was a lot of good news, bad news. And then cutting back to him in the prison and how he was trying to get out. And he was playing off of, uh, what's his name? Oh, man, from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, Tom, Wish I can't pronounce his last name, Wishlala. Yeah. yeah, the guy who played Dimitri Enzo, who was actually the faceless man in Game of Thrones. Yeah, their, their little play, and then the fact that they're going to face down a Demogorgon. Um, you know, like, I just love, like, that particular storyline just kept paying off every time they cut back to it. It's not to say it was perfect. There were times where literally my wife and I could fill in the dialogue. It was so predictable at times. But it was still the one that I think was delivering every time they cut back to it. I loved the Hopper storyline. My only issue was kind of like where you felt like with the 11 thing, I think they could have cut it down by like two episodes because they, because when he did the escape, which is really cool. And then they captured him. Cause at that moment I was like, is he getting away? Like, is that how it's going to happen? He's going to meet up with Joyce that way. And cause there was a scene in the trailer where they show 
the battle with the Demogorgon. I'm like, when did this happen? And I thought for a second, like he was going to get away. Then they recapture and they bring him back. Once they recapture and bring him back, it takes forever to get to the actual Demogorgon battle. That was my only issue. Cause it's like, yeah. they take him to this dinner and I like the speech he gave, like why they're eating the dinner. They're trying to fatten him up for the Demogorgon to eat. No, I liked all that. But it just felt like I think they got back in like episode five. We didn't get to the the Demogorgon battle until the very basically the end of the episode seven. I was like, all right, get to it already. That being said, I agree. It was a great storyline. I really liked the development of Hopper in terms of his emotional uh, center of this episode where he kind of realizes like he deals with the grief of losing his daughter um, and the, the loss of his marriage and like all these things he kind of had to come to fruition with in this episode. And come on. The reunion with Bad Mom of the Year with Joyce, it was very sweet. When he finally, when she runs up and hugs him and she he finally cracks a smile, it was yeah. really, really sweet, even though, again, she's the worst mother on earth. Um, Terrible mother, but she came to rescue her man and she succeeded. She did. She did. And if they, if they somehow don't get those two together at this point, good Lord, what are you even doing? Uh, come on. It's time. Yeah. It's time to ship those two. Um, my best storyline this season because of the way it dug into mythology and I, I love a good flashback. I'm a big fan of a good flashback. I love the Victor Krill storyline this season, the entire Nancy investigation going to the, the asylum to visit him, the revelation at the end, the whole, you know, the whole twisty and turny thing. And again, part of it was because I loved Nancy's investigation into it, but I just loved that whole, the whole thing. And then, uh, you know, going back and seeing the flashbacks in the house and like what they were dealing, dealing with being tormented and the visions and all these different things i really like that storyline it was a great um great dig into the mythology behind the show and again anytime you can introduce robert england i'm always going to go for that so the, the victor krill storyline was definitely my favorite this season yeah fair enough i mean especially the payoff of it i think is the biggest part is uh i i will talk about it in a moment what i the problems i have with it but the payoff is solid it's really good my uh, the the only thing I'll say with that storyline, why did I not get more of Robert England? There should have been way more of Robert England in this because yeah. he was so damn good in just that little moment that we got with him. I wanted way more. Yeah, he was he was fantastic. He did a really. Uh, really, really good job. Also, I want to give credit to where credit's due. Although, like I said, I, you know, because we did get a little bit of Robert England, I also want to give a credit shout out to Kevin L. Johnson, who played young Victor Creel. Um, if you recognize him, if you ever watched the show Ozark, he actually was in Ozark every season of Ozark. Phenomenal actor. I uh, follow him on Twitter. Seems like an incredibly nice guy. He does have a very Robert England look to him as a younger guy. Yeah. And I thought he did a really good job in those in those scenes. He didn't really have a lot of speaking parts, but like just playing like a Robert, a young Robert England uh, in those vo a lot of voiceover where he's like reacting to the voiceover. Uh, I thought he did a really good job and he played like the young Victor Krill. But I, I'm with you. Give me more Robert England. I really hope they bring him back at some point. I hope they find a way to rework him. And now that we know that it's his son who became Vecna. I hope yeah. they bring. I hope they bring him back in some way, shape, or form. It's crazy for them not to. I'm sure he will come out in the last few episodes. I have a hard time believing they're not going to bring him back somehow. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about our biggest gripe. Now we've already had a couple of these during the show, uh, but I know you have a, a fairly sizable one. So I'm going to let you talk about your biggest gripe for Stranger Things season four. Yeah, my biggest gripe is um, Vecna's motivation, and and you you actually explained it brilliantly. You explained it very succinctly, uh, very articulate. Uh, the problem is is that it's a really abstract concept. Um, I've seen it done a couple of times. I think of the Outsider uh, that that short series that HBO had 
um, with the the uh, the particular I forget what they call him in that. Uh, it's like some sort of a boogeyman that comes after um, grief and guilt. That's kind of what uh, Vecna is in this. I'll say it to you like this: try to draw that on a piece of paper. It's really hard to draw <laughs> because it's a very it's very much a abstract thing. And so what happens is it's not again. I like the payoff. I really like the payoff, but there were nine hours of television here. The only way they could truly pay it off was to have multiple long monologues explaining it. Even with nine hours of TV, they still had to stop and just have a character tell how Vecna works. And to me, that kind of bugs me. It just does. There's just something about it where, okay, I like how Vecna's killing people. I get it. And I get that he's kind of coming after, you know, their, their, their guilt, but it didn't have it didn't have enough impact in that respect because it wasn't something that was easily grabbed onto. And then when you have to literally just take a page of dialogue or two pages of dialogue to explain him, I got a little bit of an issue with that. Yeah, I understand. I totally understand where you're coming from. My only defense of that, not that I need to defend this, not that Stranger Things needs me to defend it. My only defense would be, I think part of it was all because of the big lead up with the twist. I think that's the reason why they didn't reveal too much. Yeah because they wanted to fool people and they did they fooled me i did not see that coming i did not see that character becoming vecna when he did um so in that way i get it like i i agree that you know the big monologue well i i listen i do like a good villain monologue i'm not gonna lie i'm a comic book reader i like i like a good villain monologue occasionally the lex luther kind of monologue like explaining his his evil nefarious plans i do like those from time to time uh, but I think, though, again, my only defense is I think the purpose of it was because they didn't want to give away too much during the season. So you knew, so you didn't figure out who he was. Yeah. Cause I don't think most people figured out that, that Vecna was the same guy. You know what I mean? They, they never figured out he was Henry Krill, much less he was one. So I guess that's my only defense. I don't disagree with you in terms of like yeah. how they finally explained it, but I think that's the only reason why I went there. I would have been happy with like mystery, mystery, mystery. Why is he killing them? Why is this happening? Why, why, why? And then like take one episode to just do that, to just yeah. go, here's why. And and we talked about it a little bit with like fixing Eleven's story a little bit and just kind of fast forwarding and making that one or two episodes. I think that would have like, I would have been totally satiated because all I would know for roughly, let's say five or six episodes is that there is a terrible, nasty ghoul that is lifting people up and crunching them in the air and sucking their eyeballs out. That's exciting. You know, like I, I'm scared. I, everything's very unknown. But there wasn't just his monologue. There was uh, Victor Creel's monologue. Nancy had a little hand in explaining him. Dustin had a little hand in explaining him. It took a lot of characters, a lot of dialogue to explain him. And so that bummed me out. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I, I still tend to disagree a little bit only because I do love a good villain monologue, but I understand where you're coming from. Um, my biggest gripe, you know, honestly, I've kind of already, I don't want to beat it into the ground, but like, again, you know, I, I think my, <laughs> well, no, no, it's not just that. Oh, okay. I think my biggest gripe is like when they, when they decided to move the buyer's family, for some reason I had it in my head that they were moving closer. Like they weren't going to California. And I think separating them by an entire coast gave them a lot of logistical issues in terms of like Mike flying out to see her, you know, the whole Jonathan uh, Nancy storyline. And maybe that was on purpose with that. But I think that storyline took a hit. And then a lot of the other characters kind of faded to the background. Like will 
never really took in like will didn't go anywhere this season like he didn't do yeah. any he was seriously in the background like at least with mike you had the the whole like you know the relation with 11 stuff and then again my biggest gripe was like again you're taking your biggest character off the board for so long and i have i have no pride liked a lot of what they did with 11 in the lab and reintroducing dr brenner i liked all that I just wish they would have done it in a way that you wouldn't have just had her once again separated from everybody. Like if they would have like had it where they had to bring Mike and Will and them because the government was after them. You know what I mean? And they're all in this facility and he's helping her to understand what she's going through. You know, so just I'm not trying to rewrite. I'm just saying like some version where they still matter to each other in those moments. I feel like separating those characters again and it's the second time we've done it. I just feel like it's a little overkill. Like, I, again, they, they keep kind of rehashing the separating one major character in 11. I, again, I understand it's a Superman syndrome. She's so powerful, you just leave her with her powers, and she goes back to Hawkins, kicks ass, and the story's over in two episodes. I get all that. But again, I just don't like that they continue to separate the characters in that way, where 11, once again, is kind of off on her own, and then everyone else is kind of reacting around it. I just wish they had somehow integrated better. Like we talked about, the road, like a road trip. And they, yeah. they leave to run from the cops and then, you know, they end up getting picked up by Dr. Sam Owens. They bring her back to the lab and all that. I am fine with all that. Yeah. If they would have just done it a little bit more that way. I just didn't like that, you know, two episodes in she's gone and then everyone else is kind of reacting to what's happening. It's really weird. Like we, we mentioned game of Thrones final season a little bit, uh, that the one thing I think that it truly did suffer from that I won't try to defend is it, it should have never been six episodes it should have been 10. Yeah. Where Stranger Things, I actually think the opposite. I'm thinking, oh, this shouldn't have been seven episodes. This should have been five. Like it's it's really weird to say that, but it's like they're just they just took a little too much time. And you're right, um, you know, Mike uh, kind of ends up wandering around for a little while. Like it, they they are kind of they just kind of bumble around and and faff for a while because <sighs> they don't have anything to do. And then they go do weird convoluted stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, like I think a lot of this would have been solved. And you talk you even talk about a uh, Hopper storyline was kind of long too. I liked it, but yeah, could it have been cut down? Yeah, I think this could have been five episodes yeah again not bad and not that i didn't no. enjoy it i, I did could I have been tighter and i yeah just a little bit tighter and again uh oh, the overall seven episodes were all really strong it's just like certain things in the seven episodes like i said i loved hopper storyline could they have done it in five episodes absolutely i don't think they needed seven to quite no. go that far you know what i mean but i like the story i it just like yeah the 11 story. I like the story for getting her powers back. I like the reintroduction of Dr. Martin Brenner. I didn't even mind like the whole flashback thing. I thought it was kind of cool to see like her origin of like how she came to power. And, and again, the, again, the payoff being the revelation of Henry Creel. And then eventually I liked all that five episodes, four episodes. You could have done it a little yeah. quicker. Is all I'm saying you could have gotten to you the point. A little you bit totally quicker. totally could have. Yeah. You totally could have. You, yeah. you really could have. And you would give, you would have given justice to a couple of characters that found out now. My, meanwhile, here, here, Damon and I telling, telling the Duffer brothers how to fix their show. It just, it's from the fan yeah. side of things. It's yeah. because we truly do love this ensemble. We love them together. We, and I think they're strongest when they're together. I bet you a billion bucks that the next two ep or the, what is it? Two or three episodes, two episodes. Left? Yeah. Two episodes I bet the left. two episodes left when they all reunite, we're all going to be like, Oh, that was the fucking shit. Like oh, I I'm telling you, I'm telling you right them. now, I'm going to drop a tear when 11 and Hopper finally find each other. <laughs> I'm 100% dropping a tear for that. Cause that's yeah, gonna be a very, you know, sweet. it's coming. Yeah, it's all oh, I can't wait. All right, let's talk about our favorite episode of the season because uh, there were again there were some strong episodes, strong stories, strong moments. But what was your what was your favorite episode of season four? This was actually tough. I had I had trouble because there are two 
to me, immensely strong episodes. But uh, episode, um, I believe it's, what did I, I wrote it down, episode four, uh, which is the episode where, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Max, uh, they steal Max away from the clutches of uh, Vecna. That's um, the one where you think Max is going to die. She's, yeah, it she's, looks it looks like Max is done for. Like yeah. you've seen the terror and the horror that Vecna can inflict on you, and he's he's got his grips on Max, and they desperately try to save her. And it, it, and at one point, you know, you're cut you cut to her in his realm, and it looks like she's not going to make it. It looks very close, and I was like, I think this is Max. I think Max is going to die right now. Like she's trying she's trying to run towards the towards the light, and you don't know if she's going to make it super compelling episode a lot of great movement forward in all the other stories as well i thought that one just as a whole was a very exciting uh um episode uh but particularly for saving max i thought was a great kind of clincher to the end of that episode for for what was a great and strong episode let me be clear um i loved the season debut I thought the season debut was a lot of fun introducing Eddie and, and, you know, the whole storyline with Chrissy and first introducing Vecna. I love that. The horror element being strong. Um, see episode four was incredible. I think that's probably my favorite episode as well. I really liked the Max storyline, her dealing with the trauma and grief of Billy's death and her basically just saying goodbye. She writes letters to all her friends, like read them after I'm dead. Like that's a man. Yeah. That's just, that was just like sad. Like in that moment, I also love the twist of like the way to reconnect her to the real world is like through a song. I love that because I have a mil I'm a huge music guy. I worked at a C I worked at a music store for years in college and I'm a huge, you play certain songs for me. It brings me back to a certain time in my life. You know what I mean? You play certain songs and I immediately snap into, Oh, I remember that. Or I remember this. So the fact and Kate Bush running up that hill, which is a great song. I loved it. I loved it. That was like how they brought her back was like using that yeah. song as like her song. I love that. I'm going to go in a different episode only because I want to pick a different one. And I'm going to go with the finale, the final episode, yeah. six, episode seven, the big reveal of Vecna. Again, I saw it coming that the orderly was actually one. I didn't necessarily immediately imagine he was Victor Cre or uh, Henry Creel, but then the revelation he was Vecna was like, Oh crap. I did not see yeah. that coming. The whole traveling through the upside down with Nancy and, and Steve and, and Eddie and Robin was great. And then the whole, like the twist of like, they're stuck in the past where we find out the upside down, never move forward in time. Like it's actually November something, 1983, you know, when the show first started, like the day that Will Byers disappeared, like what's up with that? They never explained that. I'm sure we will have it explained at some point, but like, that was a nice little twist. Like, Oh, that's kind of weird. Why did that happen? And then of course the ending with Nancy dealing with the guilt over Barb, which was a great kind of callback to season one. I just liked everything about it. It was a really strong ending. I thought really good cliffhanger leading into these last two episodes. Yeah. It made me forget about all the stuff I didn't like. Um, cause it was, it was all, it all came to a head perfectly. I think that's what I really appreciated. Episode seven was the one I was struggling with. Is it, is it seven or is it four? Is it seven or is it four? Um, yeah, seven was just a, it was a great, great cliffhanger, but it also kind of brought everything to the surface and, and those moments in the upside down, it just felt like the stranger things I fell in love with all those years ago came back in episode seven. And the Demogorgon battle. We didn't even get to that. Like Demogorgon know, yeah, battle. Yeah, the Demogorgon battle was... Yeah. 
so cool. <laughs> yeah, I love the Demogorgon. I'm glad they brought that back for the season. And like, yeah, it's so really cool. And Hopper, of course, being reunited with Joyce. It was like I said, they're just, and it's a finale episode. And I will say, granted, it's not the season finale because we still have two more episodes to go. But I loved it. Like they gave us some conclusion, but not everything. Like we got, you know, Eleven got her yeah. powers back. Joyce reunited with Hopper. You know, we got some, but Nancy's still sucking the upside down. The Vecna revelations. There's enough like teaser going into these last two episodes. I like the way they ended it. They didn't end it all on cliffhangers. They gave us some resolution. And granted, we only have to wait a month for the next part of the season. So it's like we have to wait, you know, another year. We have to wait basically a month. And I don't know. Um, this is just me theorizing. I don't know that Nancy's going to make it out of this alive. Because I get I get this strange feeling that, um, you know... At, at some point in time, one of one of your main cast has to bite the dust, uh, for lack of a better term. And it's happened, but I mean, I think it needs to happen, happen. Like, uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, great example. When 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 Yondu finally dies, it is a, it's a punch in the gut and you know he's not coming back. There's no reason that he can come back. I think that that, that needs to happen in Stranger Things. And I feel like they're they're kind of teasing you with it they teased with it in max like it really felt like max was going like we were going to lose her i don't know that we're going to get nancy back like she's she's 100 in that mode i think they're going to try to save her but will they i don't know that's what keeps me on the hook i mean that's yeah. great i want i want that level of attention it is and i feel like you're right someone's gonna go i feel like i think someone's gonna die before the season before the series is over i have a hard time believing everyone makes it but we'll see it also it also seems like steve you know steve was attacked by those weird bat things demo bats like, yeah the demo bats. yeah those demo bats what if they're infecting him and he doesn't even know it right like and maybe he can sacrifice himself on the altar to save nancy i don't know i Maybe. could see that being the way he goes he sacrificed himself to save nancy he's already you know he's already he, i think that would be something you could see him doing i i think it's possible i could also see a storyline where mike dies saving 11 like she saved him so many times Maybe he saves her, and that's how he goes. I could see that being a storyline as well in the final season. So, um, yeah, lots of lots. If Eddie dies, we riot. <laughs> yeah, Eddie's untouchable, and the no, no, you, you got to keep Eddie, the douchey basketball player who has like a vengeance against oh. Eddie. I, I, that is like every high school kid I went to, I, every kid I went to high school with, and I want to punch him so bad with a roller skate. What a douche! Yeah, seriously, <laughs> serious douche. Now, not to say that he doesn't have motivation because he does truly believe that his his girlfriend and the and the woman that he loves was killed by somebody oh, so yeah, he has yeah. plenty of motivation he's just a fucking douche oh yeah huge douche and to that <laughs> and also to that credit let me uh hold on let me find the actor's name because uh i'm, I'm missing out on the actor who played him uh where he's, is it here he goes by the name jason actually because at some point they were like oh we got to worry about jason i was like dude you got to worry about freddie because freddie's coming uh god i can't find his jason name die yeah, there you go. Mason die. Great performance. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I want to give credit. Like, when again, we want to be clear. We're not we're not discrediting his performance. We're discrediting the character. When you can play a really good douchebag, you're doing something right. So, yeah. good job. That was a great performance because I hated that character. Steve, Steve was such a great douchebag in season one. They were like, we can't lose this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, that you can't great. lose him. Make him a good guy because he was so damn good. Maybe we'll get that with Jason. Because, yeah. yeah, that kid that kid did a good a great performance. You just hate his guts. You're like, oh, oh yeah. golly, I don't want this guy. Because he's kind of a bully, too, and he's bullying people. And, and uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's a it's a good and complicated show. I think that's the point is that what I got out of season four is that it actually is rather 
uh, nuanced and complex and the characters have a lot going on. I like that. This is a return to form. And Stranger I like things is back to where I wanted them to be. There's a lot we liked about this season. One thing I do want to mention, I liked, I like the conflict between the friends that Lucas now playing basketball, trying to be a popular kid and Dustin and Mike are like, no, we don't want to join the popular crowd. We want to play Dungeons and Dragons with our yeah. friends. Like, you know, like we want to continue to be who we are. And it was kind of nice to see that little bit of conflict between them. And of course, you know, Lucas comes back from, you know, trying yeah. to be the popular kid when he realizes these douches are really going to hurt his friends. But I like that because that's what happens. Like I, I, I had kids. They used to stay over their house all the time. We were kids. We'd play GI Joe's and transformers. And then they got to high school and they suddenly became douchebags. You know what I mean? Like that's just natural. That's natural growth of, of child into teenager into an adult. You know what I mean? So uh, I've always, I've always been frustrated for Lucas. Cause I, I always felt like people, for whatever reason treat him so mean and it's like it's like for no reason and i was like for part of me was like well yeah why would lucas like stick around like i don't know if they ne necessarily intended that but i was like i can see why lucas is like you know what maybe i'm just gonna hang out with these guys because you guys always fuck with me <laughs> you know what i mean maybe fuck this i'm out of here i'm gonna play yeah, basketball kinda, you know whatever but it turns out that those new guys are kind of douchebags so yeah i you know it, i'm glad to see that lucas didn't do they didn't do a dark turn with him where he was like you guys are just way too mean to me so i'm going to be a douchebag to you guys he's he's he has his heart is still set on his original gang yeah also the hellfire club kick-ass name for a uh for a group yeah. of dungeons and dragons players i guess also makes a good I, patch on the cut i am curious because like all the bad guy names from stranger things have been dungeons and dragons character the demogorgon the mind flayer and now vecna they're all dungeons and dragons characters i'm wondering how much the sales of dungeons and dragons like merchandise has gone up since stranger things started because i know it's all i'm sure there's a licensing deal in place because they're using all the all the dungeons and dragons characters i understand that part of it but i'm curious like how many people have started playing dungeons and dragons or discovered dungeons and dragons for the first time by watching stranger things it's got to be astronomical like not that dungeons and dragons has ever gone away i played D, &D when i was a kid i loved D, &D. i played in years but i used to love playing D, &D. we had epic weekend-long campaigns when i was a kid loved it uh but and it's always been a popular game but i'm curious like how much more popular it's gotten with this show i mean stranger things is a global phenomenon it has to have gotten big some way somehow i wouldn't know i don't know a damn thing about dnd i respect it for its kind of like heavy metal roots you know it is very much like part of the whole fantasy lore so cool for them and i'm sure this gave them a good boost not that they need one i mean my god like joe manginello famous dnd -er. oh yeah i think he i think he hosts like live twitch dnds every friday night every friday night he's joe manginello he's yeah, as no, he does. as they get yeah, he has his own. He has his own clothing company called Death Saves, which is all based on Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, that's actually cool shit too. Like, yeah. I, I remember he came into the studio one year at Comic Con. He was he was hawking those shirts, and I was like, "Damn, these are actually cool." I yeah. didn't know they were D and D characters at all. Like, he's he's out there proving, like, look at me. I'm a manly, handsome, buff guy married to what's her name, like. And I love D and D. Like you don't Sophia worry. Sofia Vergara, like, yeah. Sophia yeah, Vergara. Yes, he's married to Sofia Vergara, and he's a D and D nerd. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, he's like, just you can be both. I, I'm, I'm totally down with that message. Look at Eddie, right? Eddie's a total Hesher. He's also a total D and D nerd. I like that. Yeah, I love it. I love it. All right, folks, that is our episode talking about the first part of Stranger Things season four. We're going to come back in about a month and talk about the second half of the final two episodes of Stranger Things. 
season four. Uh, make sure you check out the show. It's on Netflix. Obviously, we've been in spoiler territory the entire episode, but uh, go rewatch it. Enjoy it. Hopefully, you have enjoyed it. I also wrote an article today over on Nerdcore Movement talking about the ending, kind of explaining everything. In case you missed something, you just want a little extra explanation, uh, you can go over and check that out on nerdcoremovement.com. If you have questions, comments, uh, shows you'd like us to review, TV shows, we'll get into TV shows more often. Hit us up anytime. You can send us an email at ROT Living Dead. That's ROT Living Dead at gmail.com. ROT Living Dead at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and send us messages there. You can follow me at Damon Martin, and you are at Director Patrick. And we appreciate everyone tuning in as always. We will see you guys next week for another edition of Rewind of the Living Dead. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. Peace. We'll be right back.